0: Welcome to Faith and Family, a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. And now from Greenville, South Carolina, here's your host, Steve Wood. Hello, this is Steve Wood, and welcome to Faith and Family. Thank you for joining us today. We have a special broadcast in store for you right here in my studio in Greenville, South Carolina is my friend, Steve Ray. And Steve, it's so glad to have you here.
1: I'm glad to be here. It's fun to be here and in the studio with you. I, I know. You and it's, uh, you've always been a, a great friend, and I love what you're doing, so I'm glad to be a small part of it today.
0: Well, we're going to talk about, uh, I think, the best thing you can talk about, and that's really God moving in our lives. Everybody listening, if they're a mom and dad and they're in love with Jesus, their Catholic faith, what's the number one thing they want? Well, if it's obvious, they want their children to follow in their footsteps, grandparents the same. And I think hearing how God moves in someone's life is a great encouragement to others. And I have a minor beef with Catholic Radio people like you have been on for years, various guests. I hear Al Cresta bring you on, and I, even Al has a remarkable testimony. But I wish, you know, every six months just like, oh, you're going to have to give that testimony again, because people don't tire of hearing God work. And so I would like you to tell your story today. And before we came on the air, you told me a couple of stories that God working in your family before even your testimony normally starts, yeah. backing up. We we were talking about the uh, passing of, of Billy Graham and your family. So right. k- kind of around there would you start?
1: That's where our whole, my whole story starts, actually. I have great respect for Billy Graham. I like the way he said it. I'm not dying. I'm just changing my address. I'm going to be with the Lord. That's where you can find me now. Um, I thought that was very nice. I've heard some people criticize him because he's not Catholic. He didn't have the whole gospel. I have no criticism for the man. Yes, he may not have had the full gospel of Jesus Christ, but we can as Catholics can learn a lot from that man. His boldness in his preaching, his conviction about Jesus Christ, his moral life that he lived, there's a lot we can learn from him. He could have learned a lot from us as well. But my story begins, my mom and dad came from Chicago and they got married young and they were pagans. They'd, I mean by that they didn't have any religious upbringing, they never went to church, never taught to pray. And they had 12 years of miscarriages. And my mother really wanted children, but every time she got pregnant, lost the baby. In Detroit in 1953, my mom said she was getting ready to go shopping. She's 96 to this day and still drives her car around, believe it or not, and loves to tell me the story. Every time we sit and talk, she still reminds me, especially after his death. Steve, I was getting ready to go shopping. I was cleaning up the kitchen, got my purse and got my keys. I turned on the radio to entertain myself while I was getting ready to go, and I heard the most urgent and passionate voice. And I'd never heard anything like this before. This voice told me that Jesus loved me, that I was a sinner going to hell, but God loved me so much and sent his son to die for me, and he'd shed his precious blood on the cross for me. And if I'd accept him as my personal Lord and Savior, I'd go to heaven and I'd be saved. She said, I'd never heard anything like that before. She said, I fell on my knees, dropped my keys in my purse, and I started to cry, and I asked Jesus to do what that man on the radio just said he would do. And the voice that she heard was the Reverend Billy Graham. He was in Detroit in 1953 doing a crusade, and my mom happened to hear him on the radio. And my mom's life was never the same again. I thank Billy Graham for reaching out and giving that radio uh, message so that my mom could find Jesus. My mom never found the fullness of the Catholic Church, at least not yet. But she did find Jesus, and it changed her life. My dad thought he was dying around the same time. He drank too much. He smoked too much. He ran around too much and he thought he had cancer. He didn't because he lived to be 95 years old. My mom and dad were married 73 years, believe it or not. And he cried out on the front porch of the house one day, if there's a God, I don't even know if you're up there, but if you exist, please reveal yourself to me. I'm desperate. And he went to work at Ford Motor Company the next day. A man came up to him first thing in the morning, 12 hours after he prayed and said, Charlie, you need Jesus Christ in your life. And my dad became a Christian in the Baptist tradition. And my mom and dad joined Joy Road Baptist Church in Detroit. And they said, now that we've had 12 years of miscarriages, my mom says, I said, Jesus, now that I know you, give me children so I can raise them for you. And I was born less than a year later. I believe. Remarkable. I believe that I was an answer to my mom's prayer and an answer to her response to Jesus Christ through the message of Billy Graham. Now, of course, she took me to the Baptist church. She couldn't have me baptized because that was already they knew a wicked Catholic tradition. (laughs) But she held me up in front of the church and dedicated me to Jesus Christ. And to this day, I think that I am who I am because of that. Because I found that we have a very weak God, W-E-A-K. And I know that sounds strange. He's omnipotent, omnipresent, everything. He can create the world. Yes, but he has a great weakness because when someone falls on their knees, even if they know nothing about him, even if they've rejected him and made fun of him and whatever, when they fall on their knees and repent of their sins and weep, God cannot say no. That's his great weakness because he has the heart of a father. It's like Mm -hmm. me. I have 15 grandkids now. And if one of them has been a brat all day long and he falls down and skins his knee, I don't say, well, you've been a little brat. Just bear it, buddy. No, I (laughs) run and pick that kid up and I hug him and I kiss him and I help him get better. And that's exactly because I'm made in the image of God. He gives me a father's heart towards my kids because he has a father's heart. Billy Graham had a huge impact on my mom and dad and also on me later
0: on. He was like a I would compare him. In a, in a very good way, to a spark plug. In other words, the spark plug ignites the fire. It's not the engine. Uh, it's not what even the engine uses to create the combustion, the power. And it seems that, um, and I'm talking just maybe step on a toe here, but both Protestant and Catholic, we kind of go along and just treat everyone at each stage of life. Because I find as you know, as you age and go through different phases of life, being a grandfather is different from being a father. Being a father is different from just being a husband. Being a husband is different from being a single guy. Being a single guy is different from being a teenager. And we sometimes need that spark, that challenge to really embrace Christ at the dimension of life we are in. Right. And I think we have a hole here that people need more of a challenge to completely and totally surrender themselves to a God who loves them without condition. Yep, yep. Um, Well, that leads to my
1: second story, Billy Graham, if we have time. We do. I was born in 1954, which puts me right in the middle of the sexual drug revolution of the late 60s and 70s. I graduated from high school in 1973. And my family, my mom and dad, lived a great life, Christian life, and I have no regrets. I have no anti- Protestantism in me because I I have great love and respect for the way they raised me to love Jesus to love the Bible memorize Bible verses, and they laid a foundation for what the family was because my mom and dad loved each other. We used to say that they're like two bugs in a rug, you know. They still loved each other so much, and yeah, they had their fights and squabbles, but they rectified that right away. And the kids, we never were afraid that mom and dad would leave because right? we knew they loved each other in the family. They dedicate. My dad actually never got promoted at Ford Motor Company in thirty-five years. And I asked him when I got older, Dad, why did you have the same job? We never had any money. We never went on vacations except for just driving around. We never went out to restaurants. Why didn't you ever get promoted? You had the same job. He said, because every time they called me in for a promotion and I asked them a question, well, I have to work weekends and evenings. And they said, of course, it comes with the extra pay and responsibility. He said, well, I'm sorry I have to turn you down because I have three boys at home that need me more than Henry Ford does. Wow. That was my dad. Wow. So I have nothing.
0: And for, remember, your parents came from no religious background right. at all, and they're basically yep. uh, moving you forward, giving, exactly. giving you an inheritance. Exactly.
1: Really. And that's what they did. And they wouldn't buy me a television. And I'd say today, I give everywhere I go, I tell people the best thing you can do for your family is to get the television out of the house. Get that out and get books. Start reading to your kids. My dad did not get us a television. My kids never had a television. My grandchildren don't have television. And my dad used to spend the evenings reading stories to us every single night, stories about knights and dragons and heroes and good things and Bible stories. And I thank him for that. But I, when I got 15, I got very stubborn and rebellious. That was the hippie days. I had long hair down like a lion's mane on my shoulder. I would bell-bottom blue jeans, and I was full of rebellion. And I remember my mom had Billy Graham on the radio one night when I was 17, right before 12th grade of school. And I heard him say, God has a plan for your life and you're like you said it was a spark plug it mm-hmm. sparked something in me and the holy spirit lit it on fire that spark that happened and you can put your name in there for god so loved steve ray he gave his only begotten son that if steve ray will believe in him he'll not perish and have her last like and then george beverly shay came on and started singing just as i am without one plea but that your blood was shed for me and then the refrain over and over again lord jesus i come And I remember I was totally overwhelmed. I slipped out the back door with my rebellion and my curly hair and bell-bottom blue jeans. I walked down Napier Road in Canton, Michigan. I looked up to the sky and I said, Jesus, I'm only 17 years old, but tonight I'm going to give my whole life to you. That was the most important moment in my life. Sparked, like you said, with a spark plug of Billy Graham. And that set the trajectory for my whole life. When I was 17, Jesus really introduced himself to me. But then when I became 39, he introduced me to his family, and I became a Catholic.
0: Now, that must have been quite a transition, though, because you and I have similar backgrounds, the evangelical background. And when God invades your life, and it's in a Baptist setting, evangelical setting, you take that setting just as true as that Jesus rose from the dead. Right. And so you see something that might be different from that, or challenging that, I mean, you're, I would imagine, and I've never really asked you this, but I imagine you were a pretty tough nut to crack as far as opening the doors to Catholicism.
1: When I, Al Cresta, who many people know from Catholic radio, him and I were best friends since 1983. He was an evangelical pastor and talk show host of a Protestant radio. Him and I spent at least two weekends a month together. We homeschooled our kids together. And when he became Catholic, I was totally dumbfounded. He gave me no advance warning for that not at point. all no he just no, said he... steve sally and i decided to become catholic and this was 1993 and i said al that is the stupidest thing i've ever heard in my life you are way too smart to be catholic what in the world are you thinking and he said well we're going to do this and uh what I re- were his reasons well he didn't give me any reasons at the okay. time he just said, well, we, we've studied and we just think that that's what we need to do. I'm going back to the church of my youth and so on. And I'm just sitting there totally like I'd been punched in the face. And when I finally decided a year later to become Catholic and I announced it to him, he said, you're the last person in the world I ever thought I'd hear say that they're kind Catholic. So that you talk about a tough nut. When I was born... You know, I would all through my life say that I was a sola scriptura guy. It was the Bible alone. I didn't have tradition. Catholics had tradition. We have the Bible alone. I didn't realize that when I was born, my mom put a pair of Baptist glasses on me. Mm-hmm. She gave This is like the lens through which I saw the world. Those Baptist glasses were a tradition. We as a Baptist had tradition, and it was given to me long before I could read the Bible alone. I was immersed in Baptist teaching, Baptist thinking, Baptist practice— the Baptist tradition long before I could ever read. Then when I started to read the Bible, I realized now that I was forcing the Bible to fit my Baptist tradition. I did not fit my Baptist tradition to the Bible. There were verses we had to cut out, and I know you like talking about that. For example, First Peter 3.21, baptism now saves you. What do you do with that? We are now, Paul says, I'm suffering to fill up that which is lacking in the sufferings of Christ. Well, Christ said it is finished. He did everything. What could be lacking in the suffering? There's a lot of Bible verses that just didn't fit my Baptist tradition. You just have
0: to kind of, I call them blipper verses. You just have to read over them because they don't fit. And right.
1: I made the Bible fit into my Baptist tradition right. instead of making my Baptist tradition conform to the Bible. What I found as being Catholic, and this is what made me Catholic, one of the many things, is that all the Bible verses fit now that I now admitted I had a tradition, but I had the right tradition, the one that's been here for 2,000 years, and now everything fit. And now I have a new pair of glasses, Steve. I went to the optometrist and I got a new pair of glasses. Now, this is a Jewish lens and this is a Catholic lens, and boy, can i see everything clearly now
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay what were the usually there's attractions uh for the church uh like for me the eucharist was pretty easy to see if you take the bible literally in john chapter six but there's also hurdles what were the hurdles
1: well i would say that uh, let me just mention two attractions real okay quick. one was um i realized i wanted to be a christian like the followers of jesus and when I found out the Apostolic Fathers, and I made a movie of these guys on location because I, I attribute to them my becoming Catholic. So one of the attractions was when I read them, I wanted to be what they were. They knew the apostles. They didn't have a New Testament yet, not for a couple hundred years That's where they right. have a Bible. But they had the teaching and practice of the apostles still ringing in their ears, they said. And I wanted to be like them, and they weren't Baptists. They were Catholics. That was a huge draw in my life. Second of all, I, I am a rebel at heart. I am a nonconformist, non-politically uh, incorrect guy. I am at heart a rebel, and I have always been. And I realized by becoming a Catholic, I could live out that rebellion like <laughs> I couldn't anywhere else. In fact, when my son was 16. He wanted to get earrings and tattoos. I said, It's not going to happen in this family, first of all. He says, Why not? And I said, Because it's not going to be allowed. That's not what we do here. And I said, Why are you wanting tattoos and an earrings? He said, To be different, Dad. I said, By being different like everyone else. Everyone's getting tattoos and earrings. If you want to be a rebel, Jesse, if you want to be countercultural and different, be an authentic Catholic and you'll stand out. And I'm proud of my son. He took me up on it. But that, I think, also was an attraction to me. When I began to study the whole thing of Catholicism with this fear and trepidation, I didn't want to be Catholic. But when I realized it was the truth, and I realized that I could be really countercultural by being this, I could really be a rebel. In fact, I give a talk called Raising Rebels, how to teach your kids to be rebels against the culture of death and Uh, anti-God and to teach them to be rebels against that. I am the ultimate rebel in our family, and the kids always loved it. And to become a Catholic, I can really live that out. Rebel in a good sense of rebelling against the culture of death and against lies and against misconceptions and selfishness and all the other things. I want to be a total disciple for Jesus Christ, and that's radical stuff.
0: Uh, You mentioned the apostolic fathers and they are so critical. And there's somebody listening to us that says, now, who exactly were these guys, and how do I find out about them?
1: Well, the, the, we have what's called church fathers. Just like the United States, we have fathers of our country, George Washington, Jefferson, Madison. They're the ones that founded the country and gave the basis for it. All. Okay. We in the church have founding fathers, the fathers of the church. And they're basically the first eight centuries, great men who had great impact, Tertullian, Origen, August, uh, Augustine. Came, yeah, he is in that age too, and also, all sorts of them. But there are a special category of church fathers that are called apostolic fathers. They're still church fathers, but they're apostolic fathers. That means that they knew the apostles personally. They were living in that age. Before there's a New Testament, I think of Ignatius of Antioch who was dragged by the Roman government to Rome and killed there. And he wrote seven letters. And if people have, not Christians and Catholics haven't read those seven letters, Google them and read them. The letters of Ignatius of Antioch. You can read them in an hour, hour and a half. But they tell you what the Christians thought and practiced in the first century. He was Catholic. He yeah,
0: Ignatius really—I oh. uh, was a Presbyterian towards the end of my pilgrimage, and people wonder, what what a strange name. But it comes from presbyteros, the Greek word for elder, and Presbyterians believe in a church governed by elders, not by bishops, not a right. hierarchy. So you read Ignatius, and it's like every other paragraph, obey your bishop, obey your bishop. Yeah. The, the true church is where your bishop is, and yeah. then to top of it all off— To be a true Christian, you have to believe in the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist. And he said,
1: beware of the heretics who refuse to partake of the Eucharist because they deny it's the very same body of Jesus that hung on the cross. And I realized that Ignatius had a very long arm. People don't know that his right arm was very long because he reached through 2,000 years of history with that long arm. (laughs) And he pointed right at my nose and said, Steve Ray, you're a heretic because you reject the Eucharist right. and deny that it's the body and blood of Christ. So the apostolic fathers were these guys who still had the words of the apostles ringing in their ears. And then second generation like Irenaeus and Justin Martyr, who knew somebody who knew the apostles. I love Irenaeus. And, and by the way, I did a, a documentary on these guys called The Apostolic Fathers.
0: Yeah, I was going to mention that because sometimes oh, thank you. And, people and, don't, I mean, this is foreign stuff. And yet, for converts, this is some of the most potent stuff because everybody wants to be like the apostles. Yes. So we have the New Testament, the apostles' writings, but the interpretation, like you're saying, the glasses you wear, you don't even, you're not even conscious of it. Yep. But you read the apostolic fathers, it's kind of like, oh. There's a Catholic lens here. Yes. Uh, before the ink was barely dry in the New Testament.
1: And if I want to be like the apostles, then I want to look at what their disciples did. What did the disciples of the apostles do? You know, I used to, I used to, I realized when I was becoming Catholic. Why do I care so much what my pastor says today, two thousand years removed, when I can go back and listen to what the first pastor said of the first century, who knew the apostles, and their writings are there. So I remember reading those guys and thinking, my goodness, these are really Catholic guys. These guys, they knew the apostles. I love Irenaeus. He was born around 120, died around 200. And he writes and says, I remember sitting at the feet of Polycarp and listening to him. Well, who's Polycarp? Polycarp was a friend and disciple of John the the Apostle. And he said, I used to listen to Polycarp for hours as he told us all the things that John had done and said the one who had laid his head on Jesus's breast. I didn't write them down, he said, because they were branded into my heart. And I remember to this day all of the things that Polycarp said about John who knew jesus well you know what when i discovered these guys i could not e- i carried those books around with me there's a book called the um the apostolic fathers you can get copies of these my movie on the apostolic fathers but i remember carrying around also eusebius's history of the church who talked about these guys mm-hmm. first church history written in 325 i remember ca- i would i just loved it when a train would come along and the gates would go down because i'd get another five minutes to read another page or two i ca- I, I just couldn't consume this fast enough. But what happened then is I realized these guys were really Catholic. They believed in the Eucharist. They believed in, in bishops, priests, and deacons. They re, they believed already in the first century in the bishop of Rome being the head of the church. When you read the writings of Clement from 60 to 90 A.D. and Ignatius of Antioch, you can't deny the fact that there was already a primacy of Peter established in the church of Rome. That's why I wrote my book Upon This Rock. I proved from Scripture in the first eighth century that there was never a time when people did not accept the fact that Peter was the primacy had the primacy and that he established it in Rome and that the bishop of Rome was his successor. Well, the, the apostolic fathers just totally blew me away. And it wasn't long before they squeezed, they pulled my arm behind my back and they dragged me into the church kicking and screaming because I didn't want to become a Catholic. But those guys made me become Catholic.
0: You know, the folks listening who who were born into a Catholic family and been in a church all their life, you have no idea on how contrary to the idea of a pope is to a Baptist. Yep. I mean, it's like, I I don't even have words no, to it, describe how far away it is. And you've just heard Steve mention, though, the power of these earliest of the early church fathers, the apostolic fathers, as a way to break through that. If you read uh, Pat Madrid's Surprised by Truth, you find Early church fathers, early church fathers. early. I mean, it gets a little redundant yep. because these yep. things break through. And, you know, I I know there's people listening just because, by the way, we're in South Carolina. We have a lot of Protestant listeners to Catholic radio. And I do know that there are Protestants listening that would gladly pay $10,000 to do time travel to the periods that you just mentioned. Yep. The, the guys who heard St. John teach for hours on end— and yet they could go to Barnes and Noble or Amazon and get copies yep. of the early church fathers for 10 or 12 bucks. Yep. And here, and these guys weren't flowery, philosophical, up in the air. They were living in a church that was being persecuted. They were godly oh, yeah. men, and they just spoke truth. Just straight truth. Yep,
1: and in that in my movie Apostolic Fathers, I make the point that the bishops today really have it made because they already move into the bishop's house, they already have the diocese set up, they have the staff ready. These guys, the first bishops, there was none of that. They they for them it was like taking a machete through the jungle. They had to pay. They had to chop their way to what we now take for granted in the Catholic Church, or Protestants, too. The, the simplicity, you got a Bible, you've got, you know, everything is all laid out for you. They had to chop their way through that. And I think that for Protestants, if you don't want to be Catholic, I would say do not read the Fathers of the Church, because if you're happy as a Protestant and you don't want to discover that the Catholic Church is true, and you don't wanna read some really subversive stuff, stay as far away as you can from the Church Fathers, because once you start opening the Church Fathers and reading those very first guys, it's gonna rattle your cage, and you're gonna have to deal with issues that you may not wanna have to deal with.
0: I think it was C.S. Lewis, a little paraphrase, one can't be too careful about reading old books. (laughs) (laughs) That's right, and I I just say that
1: warning with tongue in cheek, as you know. and I would say that Protestants tend to avoid these guys. I would be—I've challenged people over and over again. Most evangelical Protestant bookstores—I don't call them Christian bookstores anymore because they don't represent all of Christianity, only a small sliver of evangelical fundamentalist Christianity. But if you go into one of those Protestant bookstores and you they're good at marketing, they'll have the 20 bestsellers as you walk in the door. I challenge anybody to find a quote from the early church fathers in any of those top 20 books, and I'll give you a, a dollar for every quote that you find of the church fathers. They will quote modern-day preachers, modern-day pastors, modern-day theologians over and over again. Why don't they ever listen to the very first ones that knew Jesus and the apostles? But you, I'll give a dollar for every quote you find in any of the top 20 uh, bestsellers.
0: Interesting. Um, I want to talk about some of your resources because you have done some really incredible things. First of all, your book, Crossing the Tiber, which to me is— Perfectly done. And I want to just explain. There are two ways to do apologetics, and that's how to defend your Catholic faith. You can write against Protestants or you can write to them. And this book was what? It started as a letter to your folks. The
1: reason why this book has resonated with so many people, it's it's irenic in tone, meaning that it's not anti Protestant, it's not hostile. It is very gentle in a way. My dad was a Baptist Deacon. And when he heard I was reading Catholic books, he clenched his fists, his face turned red veins. You must be backsliding, the living in sin even be thinking about things like that. I remember that and it broke my heart because I already told you how my dad wouldn't even take promotions because he loved us boys and he right. read, he gave his life to me. Right. And uh, here I am breaking my dad's heart, the last thing in the world. But I'm following my dad's own teachings because he always said, Steve, follow the truth even if it hurts. My dad always came up with pithy sayings. A man is no fool to give away what he cannot keep to gain that which he can never lose. Steve, follow the truth even if it hurts. And I'm following my dad's advice, but it's hurting my, breaking my dad's heart now that I'm discovering the Catholic Church. So I sat down and wrote a letter. Dear Dad, you're the best father in the world. I owe you an explanation. That book, Crossing the Tiber, was a love letter to my dad.
0: And I noticed in your, I, I haven't kept close enough touch with you. There's an abridged version as well for those who like to read Quicker (laughs) of reading books, and it's only three
1: dollars. I think it's it's put out by Lighthouse. Okay, Lighthouse. It's put up in parishes in that little rack that a lot of people see. Yeah, and they they gave a little abridged version with cheaper paper and a little smaller text, but it's instead of twenty dollars for the big version, get it for three dollars.
0: And that would be a good tool. Crossing the Tiber by Steve Ray. That would be a good tool to give to a family member that's thinking maybe leaving the church or maybe already has and you want to give them some reasons for coming back.
1: There's hardly a week goes by I don't get an email from somebody said you're the guy I came into the church I was at legatus meeting I gave a talk last night at a a group here and the guy said I was a fundamentalist Baptist up till four years ago till I read your book he said and it brought me into the church.
0: Steve thanks for joining us this is Steve Wood with Faith and Family. Faith and Family is a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. Visit us online at dads.org to order copies of Faith and Family broadcasts and to learn more about Catholic family life.